Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's like the more you make, I just stop thinking about what death metal is, according to other people. And like, I just sort of follow my own whatever interpretation of it is at that time is.
Welcome to the Dreams of Consciousness podcast. If you'd be so kind, would you mind introducing yourself? My name's Derek Vela, and I am one of the guitar players slash songsters for the band Tumult. And Derek, how would you describe the music of Tumult? Uh, we're a death metal band. I think that's, I think that works. <laughs> Straight up death metal? No, uh, well, no well, modifiers? I mean, uh, it depends on what era of the band, I guess. I feel like we have different eras now, especially with the, with this fourth record that just came out. So anywhere from kind of, no, I don't know. Just, just death metal with progressive leanings. <laughs> okay. But you're, you know, I think people who hear your music will, will immediately hear the, the progressive side, but you're happy just being called a death metal band? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's so, it gets so, I, I, it gets so specific sometimes. And look, I don't, I don't mind those detractors because like, I love progressive death metal or like technical death metal. I think I'm just apprehensive to label my own music of that because when I think of progressive music and whatnot, I tend to think of it as being written by smart people and i guess i just don't <laughs> consider myself that smart but i mean yeah i definitely definitely there is like even even in some of the other records previous to this one maybe they weren't progressive in in traditional sense but they were these kind of long winding labyrinthy songs that you know took you places not a lot of repeating parts and sometimes when it did, it, it worked really well, but I feel like the new record, it fits the box more of what people expect from progressive metal or progressive death metal, I guess. Yeah. And we can, we can talk about the evolution of your sound when we, when we speak more about the songwriting of this latest album. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure would sure. you mind just telling me a little bit about uh, the history of Two Mold and, and what your guys' intentions were when you first started the band? Sure. So me and Max started to mold, I guess, in 2016. We had played in bands before. Actually, the three members of Toon Mold, myself, Max, who plays drums and does vocals, and then Payson, the other guitar player, we all used to be in a band together around 2011. Yeah, that sounds about right. 2011, 2012, we were in a band, Payson's band called Purity Control, which was sort of like a you know, power violence hardcore band, but a little bit more metal on the metallic side. And that's how I met Max. Payson and I have known each other just from going to shows and whatnot since the mid-2000s. So Max and I did that band. We did some other bands together. But then Two Mold, originally, we were just sort of going to make a couple demo tapes. Because Max was just like, we should do a death metal band. And... Because we both loved the music, but we never even considered doing that before, or I never even considered writing a death metal song. So then the whole band has become a sort of learning on the job process. If it's like, if Max is like, write a death metal tape, I'm just like, okay, well, first I have to, I have to, I have to attempt to write death metal, which was like fun, especially because the stakes were so low. Because it was, you know, we just figured we'd make a couple of tapes, no one would care, and we would just dip. Clearly, we were both wrong, but. Yeah. Turns out a lot of people care about the, the music that you make. A lot of, a lot of people care. <laughs> and so when we did that first tape, it's called The Bottomless Perdition. It's very, you know, very simplistic, sort of in that style of a band like Convulse or even like Early Autopsy, but like a more, much more primitive version of that. 
and it was fun to write i remember we did it it was it was a really awesome feeling and thinking about that now is just it's super charming and and so funny to compare that music to something that we've made in this year like 2023 but this label called blood harvest from sweden kind of came and knocking being like would you be interested in doing a full length and we were sort of like we said yeah and then it was and then it became a we have to write eight songs or something like that and you know we sort of went into it just blind and not really sure how it was going to turn out but maybe just like a belief that we could string together enough good things we already had a few songs written for another tape we put that on the side and we just sort of recorded a record half diy half in a studio and then the band just sort of evolves from there we bring in other members we make more tapes and lps but originally the intention was just you know writes write a few songs and then call it a day I don't think we ever even talked about playing a show until we thought, like, until we realized we had to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, out of curiosity, what, why did you feel you had to? Well, if we were going to make an LP and whatnot, and we were having so much fun playing it, and there was enough people around us that were like, you should play live, that we figured it would be fun. And it was a fun challenge to get, uh, you know, Max to do drums and vocals at the same time. Like, that's always been... It's such a sight to see and even just like the initial stages because originally i think he thought oh man there's no way i could do it so i'll have to find a drummer we actually did have one practice with a different drummer and it was cool but then we had another practice with just me and max after and max was sort of like i can do this and then we never looked back and then i think maybe even just knowing that alone that he could do it live kind of opened the doors to the possibility of playing shows gotcha you mentioned that you guys formed just to, to write some death metal songs coming from your your previous power violence band yeah but why death metal what is it about the style that appealed to you well i guess i got into death metal in my late teens through like i mean i was into punk first you know punk and, and hardcore and, and power violence power violence probably like the most like extreme form of that and i found that stuff really appealing i loved like the intensity of it and initially what turned me off to death metal was the vocals i just couldn't get into the guttural stuff i liked some thrash but that felt you know a lot a lot cleaner a lot more like boxed in and death metal felt very unwieldy which is funny because it's like i loved unwieldy power violence records but it just had this barrier with with death metal but the record that kind of flipped me was world downfall by terrorizer yeah yeah which is just like and one of the best like grind records or death metal records however you want to call it and had like so many like just awesome hooks and riffs like super catchy and then that and then kind of realizing that you know well if you like the drums in that band like there's this other band called morbid angel you should check out <laughs> and even just the early death records being a little bit kind of easier to get into because even like on a record like leprosy the vocals they were very punk right like those th those early death records yeah like they're especially like leprosy some of it is so it almost sounds like robotic at times especially with those big stadium drums yeah but the vocals were were a lot more approachable i found yeah than say trying to listen to a band like demolich or something for the first time and <laughs> just being completely like blindsided by that but then and then you know you kind of like you get bit you get bit by that bug and then you just want to keep listening to more more of it more of it and then yeah it kind of just fell down the hole and then max and i both yeah loved it and it kind of felt like i think we were like maybe one of the only people we uh, we were friendly with or like close with that liked the music so we kind of just bonded over it and yeah like it's such a such an imaginative genre it's pretty it's pretty wide open as far as what you can do with it and i i learned that 
with each record we make more and more that like we have what feels like limitless range or something with what we can do. You stop to, you almost like, it's like the more you make, I just stop thinking about what death metal is according to other people. And like, I just sort of follow my own, whatever interpretation of it is at, at that time is usually it's a reflection of what you're listening to maybe, or what, whatever, or your state of mind even. But yeah, I just, I found it. It's like, has the best merch, has some of the best lyrics, has like the best solos. Like it's got everything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, honestly, like the people who, who have the most opinions about what death metal is came to it fairly recently. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no blueprint when these bands. Oh, started. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You know, you could be as technical as you wanted. You could be as simple as you wanted. Yeah. Death metal, like I, I always felt that death metal was, was meant to be an evolving, you know, revolutionary kind of music. I don't think it, it, it was meant to, you know, just be just be like the first entombed album or just be like old autopsy or anything like no. that well it's such a young genre still you know what i mean i guess now it's what 30 years old ish yeah just about yeah maybe maybe or like maybe like 25 years like i guess i guess whenever you consider like death metal being born if it's like 88 or before that i don't know but you know like there's lots of room to evolve that you would hope it evolves it's like any genre of music right like yeah. Every genre of music goes like, you know, rock music in the fifties is not the same as rock music in the seventies. Right. Yeah. But you don't have one without the other. And the seventies rock is like, I mean, I love like, you know, 1950s rock and roll, but seventies rock compared to it, it's just like, it's like a, it's another creature. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I would hope the same with death metal. I mean, it's a high bar. I mean, maybe we just see it as a high bar because we hold these older records in such like, regard but like i wonder if someone coming to it new like a like a you know a teenager getting into death metal now do they just do they just gravitate towards like the modern records and sort of like that's the one they hang their hat on i'd be i'd be curious i never really get to talk to many like youth like that but it's it's funny because I, I guess you don't you don't really think about contemporary records as like you know that legendary right usually that comes with time and also maybe if it's from an era that you weren't part of, you just kind of romanticize it too, for sure. But yeah, so I think there's lots of room for death metal to grow. That's a long-winded answer that <laughs> I took you off course there, sorry. No worries. But the, the bands that you, you mentioned are quite interesting, uh, especially for guys who were coming to death metal fairly fresh, you know, convulsed, demolic, like this was already like, you know, getting to the avant side of death metal. Yep. Did you always have an idea that you wanted Tumult to be a band that evolved and, and progressed with every album? every album i don't think so i don't think originally i think it started to happen sometime around probably working on the the second record manner of infinite forms when we wrote that first record me and max wrote like primordial malignity it was more so just like we have to write a certain amount of songs or like a certain runtime for a record so it's just sort of whatever you came up with all right well that works that works but with Manner of Infinite Forms, I started to take a larger look at the record as a whole, how you want it to open, how do you want it to flow, what kind of vibe do you want to put out, what do you want the record to be about, you know, we, we started to get a more focused kind of approach to it, but still not really like just kind of learning day by day how you can modify how you're writing these songs or like chances you can take trying to write riffs that are above your pay grade at the time and whatnot. And 
yeah and just trying to I, I think like setting almost like personal songwriting goals really helped for me at least because like the way the band works is that i write the songs i bring them to the band and then we sort of workshop them but usually by the time they get there the the structure's there like the sequence of riffs is there and then we sort of you know add sauce and figure out what we want to do different but so the i guess the process of writing was sort of always evolving but never intentionally it was just sort of maybe my own growth as just being a guitar player taking it more seriously or taking it really actually seriously maybe for the first time ever because we saw an opportunity to do, to write some you know pretty cool records which was just not something we ever really considered before i guess like taking the view of we're gonna write multiple full-length albums you know we never had been in a band that did that before so it was sort of a new experience for us so i guess like i i never even thought i would be in a position to do that so it was you sort of just caught by surprise a lot of it but and then just the maybe that enthusiasm just sort of pouring into being inspired and and getting to write so many songs something like that gotcha I'm curious, when you say you, you set personal goals with your songwriting, what would a goal be? Like, you're sitting down to, to write a new song. What do you have in mind for, for what, you want, what you want to accomplish? Usually, I just want to be able to write something that is engaging and I'm not retreading old ideas, trying to write fresh riffs or fresh ideas. And usually trying to kind of almost maybe even, you know, like, let's look at a song like like the song Blood Mirror off, off Manor of Infinite Forms, that's like a personal favorite of mine. I think that might have been the first song I wrote for that record. And to me, it's still one of my favorite songs in our catalog. And even that, just, you know, kind of writing the opening riff and figuring out where am I going to take it from here without realizing it was going to be like the six or seven minute song. But you start to think about, you know, you've got a beginning, you don't, so two mode songs don't really have like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, kind of like pattern. Like, I don't I feel like a lot of death metal doesn't. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong, but so you're not really thinking of you got to write a verse, got to write a chorus. It's more so you, it's like it's so hard to explain. It's like I have to write a riff that feels appropriate after this one. But sometimes certain parts of songs are just sort of a way to get you to something that you're really looking forward to. Maybe you write the opening riff of a song and then you find your you know you're jamming with yourself and you find like the middle and then kind of filling in the blanks and then but thinking consciously like what kind of how like what kind of intensity you want to build to or like do you want to build tension there like is is your middle point going to be like these this like big release point where maybe the song slows down and you have these like open notes just like hanging into a solo so you're like thinking or at least i'm thinking how do i build excitement to that point like I'm a big tension and release person when it comes to writing music and this band and I have this other band called dream on ending. It's like a doom band, which is again, just like another way of like chasing tension and release, but much slower and over a longer course of time. But I feel like I'm always looking for those things. Cause that's like my favorite thing in music is when you're sort of sent into like almost a vortex of stuff happening, but then you come out through the other side and it just feels incredible. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but usually just i guess also i wanted to write stuff that when i showed it to max he would be psyched off it you know what i mean so that's also it's so nice when you have like it's almost like 
you want to not you don't want to fail them so you you just really give it your best and you hope that they're along for the ride and you knowing that if they like it they're going to make the song even better once they start playing like their instrument on it and stuff and and sometimes even just if if they're unsure like oh i don't know if this song will work but like just having faith in it is enough for me but yeah something like that
sounds like when you sit down to write, you, you sit down to write a song from beginning to end. A little, a little. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I never really ever started demoing stuff until like maybe the pandemic, I guess. Well, no, I guess I demoed stuff before, but I never thought about like, just like all the details of a song until we were in the jam room, but maybe because I had so much more time before we started practicing, I was able to get in the details, but yeah, sometimes I never, well, I never sit down and write or sit down and and be like, I'm going to write a song. It usually just comes organically out of just sitting there playing guitar, but sometimes you'll start a song and you're just not going to be able to finish it. You'll come back to it later. I think even like one song on the album, Planetary Clairvoyance, the opening track is called, it's called Beg for Life. And I remember the way the song ends, it kind of ends with just this like melody being tapped on the guitar. But before that, that sort of rhythm progression, I didn't think that was the end of the song. And I had written something to follow it after. But every time I kind of went back to it, I was like, oh, this feels tacked on. And this riff I'm tacking on, you know, that could be the beginning of another song. And it ended up being the beginning of the song on the same on planetary called infinite resurrection. And knowing it was like, this is almost like too good of a riff to just close on like this. You could build a song out of this because it's such an intense riff. So sometimes these things happen accidentally, like maybe you just sort of strike gold and then, but then you're inspired to keep writing the song. But sometimes I, I guess it depends. They're all different. I'd have to like, you'd have to like throw a song title at me and I could tell you if I wrote it in order or not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, maybe Uh, when we speak about the the latest album, I'll, you know, there's definitely some songs. Yeah, that one, that one is much fresher in my mind writing. So that (laughs) one would be, you can softball me with that one. (laughs) But you mentioned that prior to the pandemic, uh, you weren't recording demos. Were you just coming in with the riffs and and playing them for Max? And then you guys... uh... Yes, sort of. Like I would, I would kind of like make a video of the song usually, and then I would send it to him. And that was as much as I did as far as demoing. And then we would get in the room, work out the song record like a rehearsal recording and then show show the other guys and then they just sort of go from there i felt like we were working so fast we just never stopped to be like you know do we have to ch- like do we have to fix anything or change anything it was just sort of we were just kind of ripping through them it was sort of wild it was just like momentum on our side i think we were just so jazzed and we weren't sure how long this was going to last right we kind of treated it like we we're on borrowed time and yeah but well you guys were you guys were working pretty fast from album to album on those first three yeah tell me about it it's like three and three years right like it's crazy and it's sort of like you finished an album and while you're waiting for it to get mixed and like come out you just started writing the next one it was so funny like you and i i i have i still sort of have this problem with other stuff like i mean as an aside my doom band dream on ending by the time the first record came out i was two months away from recording the second one so it's the same with tumult where it's like you're seeing people and they're like oh i love this thing you just put out and you're like yeah yeah yeah. but wait till you hear the next thing because we we're already like maybe like halfway deep into it because we, we just we had a really good we had a really good run of being able to practice every week we weren't doing a ton of shows and touring at that point you know what i mean it wasn't until planetary came out where we were playing like a lot of shows and doing a lot of stuff. And then that's when like the writing just stopped. You know what I mean? So we didn't have time. It was sort of, you practice, band practice was just rehearsal. It was like different. It was a little different. Gotcha. Yeah. 
And as as far as your the demos that you're recording now, are you doing drum programming? Are you coming up with like the bass lines as well? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't do any drum programming. I actually did. I have this program called Easy Drummer, and I used it to demo all of the songs on the new LP. But I never showed Max. I only showed like my bandmate Payson. It was sort of like just so you can kind of hear them in context of something. Right. Not saying this is how the drum should sound, though. It is funny. I think I did go back and listen to one. And I compared it to like what, how Max ended up playing the drums because Max, you know, he kind of dictates the drums himself. We never really give him any pointers. Maybe he'll try some stuff out and then we'll, you know, we'll give him like a look if he's like really keyed in on something. But I think one of the songs was like, it was pretty, it was, it was not super close, but it was pretty close. And maybe that's just me knowing Max's tendencies and Max, you know, it's just like, it's like speaking a different language with someone after a while when you like write enough songs with somebody, like, you know, what each person likes and where we can like push each other and whatnot. But yeah. So, but I did, I did play bass on the new record and I actually didn't think about bass much until maybe a month before we had to record the album. But I just have, I have the ability now, like I'm better at either demoing riffs or at least transcribing them into like a a software program, like guitar pro or something where I can sit there and listen to something on loop and try out different ideas over it. Same with Payson, you know, so we can show up to practice and be like, when you're playing that, I'm going to play this. Or when I'm playing this, like you're going to play this sort of thing. That was definitely like a really big shift from the last records was doing a lot more of that. Like just like kind of like always trying to find ways to to throw in little surprises in the songs and whatnot. Much more attention to detail, I guess. So The Enduring Spirit is the name of your latest album? Yes. And it was released on September 15th through 20 Bucks Spin. We were speaking about how the writing, at least the process of writing the album, this album was different from previous albums. But going into it, did, did you have a feeling that you wanted to do something different musically? I think so. I mean, what I liked about the three records we had up to that point was they were all death metal records, but they all had their own kind of flavor. Primordial is a super charming kind of old school, super raw sounding album, very cold sounding, super shrill. And that's because I only had really single coil guitars at the time. So we didn't get a big beefy sound out of anything. And then Manor was this sort of mid-paced, but pretty, still pretty raw, but big production kind of journey with this whole like subterranean horror theme. And then Planetary Clairvoyance is a more like compressed cosmic horror kind of album. It's way more claustrophobic sounding. It's super dark. And I think coming out of that, it was was sort of like, I don't want to make a dark record like that again. I had started working on the first record for for Dream Unending. So my guitars were in the tuning for for that band, which is a little higher tuned than the last couple two mold records. So anytime I was sitting there kind of writing riffs, they were in this you know, just a step below standard tuning, a lot brighter sounding. And I would just maybe make a note of them and like, oh, maybe that can be a tumult riff. And then deciding that like, I liked how that sounded. I liked the brightness of it. And I was listening to more, you know, brighter technical thrash or, or death metal records. I was outside. It was like the spring and summer of 2020. I was running a lot. I was listening to lots of like fast records. And I think it was sort of, I wanted to do something like that. And I knew I wanted to write clean parts and I, but I, and I knew I wanted it to be different and I wanted to really challenge myself of like my ability to play guitar. Cause I was feeling so 
just engaged with the instrument you know the the pandemic i think that i think it did that for a lot of people it just had so much time to play and i just felt so you know juiced creatively off writing that first dream and ending record and and then i was coming up with all these ideas for two mold songs and, and working it out and then i remember i showed i i had written nine songs by that point and i showed payson and max sort of being like this is kind of where i'm at this is a little different than what we normally do but i think you're gonna like it and they both were they both responded really well to it and i remember like you know max loved like how melodic the songs got and payson i think payson did too and he was like these songs are much harder to play and it's gonna be fun and it was sort of just a way for us to kind of bring the best out of each other and and just push ourselves as musicians you know i think it was sort of we also kind of realized that we had no commitments we had no time to play shows we hadn't do, we didn't have to do anything so we were just sort of like we can take our time and really just sharpen these songs and then when we're ready we'll go record it and yeah so am i am i correct in saying that the songs for aperture of body and the enduring spirit were written in the same sessions they were yes so i think aperture like the title track aperture of body off the tape that was the first song i wrote and then the song the prestige or prestige of rebirth that was i believe the seventh song i wrote but when we started working out some of the songs we we quickly realized well i kind of said to them i was like you know we have two songs in this collection and they both can't be on the same album because they're both closing tracks Right. And that was Prestige of Rebirth and The Enduring Spirit of Calamity. It was like, it doesn't make sense on the same album. And then I, I said, we have two songs that are the most OSDM of the batch. And that was Aperture of Body and what is it called? The second track off the album, Angelic Fabrications. So it was like, those two both can't be on the LP. Only one can. And I, they really pushed for that song to stay on the LP and... I think it made sense. Aperture is a, if you're going to take two songs to put together, I think we picked the right two. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, they don't fit on the record, but they fit on that tape. I love that tape. So it kind of worked out perfect without realizing it. I thought maybe we were just going to make a nine song LP, but then it would have been like 50 minutes and that would have been too long. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you spoke about playing Max and your other bandmates, the, the new material and, and their feedback being positive. But were you, were you apprehensive at all about you know, putting out these, these new songs into the world with the, with the Aperture EP? And, you know, because it's been a while since people have heard Two Mold. So they may have been expecting, you know, Planetary Part 2 or, or something. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that funny thing where, you know, if a band changes their sound, you'll have like one camp being like they changed their sound right and then if you don't change your sound you have this one camp being like it sounds exactly like the last yeah, one they haven't changed so i was like well i think we I, I feel like we i feel like the aperture tape was a pretty good way of kind of being like we're back but it's a little different you know the riffs are a little bit more involved we have more solos there's fretless bass there's clean parts so we kind of laid out the blueprint of what was to come but what we weren't showing was just how melodic the songs had gotten and i think the songs on the lp sound much crazier than the songs on the tape which have crazy moments don't get me wrong but the album has at times it's way more unhinged 
sounding, but no, I was more apprehensive of showing them. I, I think once, once they kind of gave it the seal of approval, I was sort of, I sort of knew it was like, okay, like we're good. Like this is going to be great. And you know, a couple of the songs, they got reworked a bit during the writing process or rather, you know, maybe I was, I kind of thought, ah, this is a bad ending. I want to rewrite the ending. And then the ending you're rewriting is adding anywhere from 90 seconds to three minutes to a given song. But was I apprehensive about putting it out and, and how people would respond to it? No, not really. Because at the end of the day, like I write, I write music for me and my bandmates, right? It's for us. It's, you know, I think we, I think what we've realized at this point is just that making music together is, is great. And even if, if we had lost everybody with this one, I think we would have just kept making music because I think the process of writing together is such a rewarding experience, but it seems like people enjoy the sound. So that's great. But no, I didn't think too much about it. I, I just had a, I guess I just had belief in it, but I tend to feel that way about everything I do. Not like blind faith or anything, but just, you know, I'm true to myself in my songwriting. I write for me at the end of the day. And so I can always appreciate it and like it. Even when I listen to stuff that is from years back and maybe I'm like, well, I wouldn't write anything like that now, but it's cool that I, like, that got me to where I am now. So each piece matters and like documenting this growth is for all of us is like, is really cool. I mean, it's a, it's a very ambitious album from, from the songwriting perspective and even the, the recording perspective. We, we spoke about, you know, whether or not Two Mold, whether or not you consider Two Mold to be a progressive band, but it does sound like, you know, there's a conscious attempt to evolve your sound with every album, and this one is maybe, you know, the furthest you've you've pushed your sound so far. For sure, for sure. But it it it's funny because I I've, I've said this before. This isn't anything new, but to me, like this record, kind of feels like the first two mold record in ways only because of how collaborative it was and how everybody is i feel like everybody has a lot of shine on this record because you know i kind of came to pace in the other guitar player and was like i'm, I'm i want to write a lot of leads for this record and he was like okay I was like, but that means like you have to write a lot of leads too. And it's just the thing we never, we, you know, there are lots of songs where we just didn't have leads. We might have like little licks here and there, but we just never had like full blown solos. But I was like, no, I want to do it. Like I want it to be fun. And you know, a lot more of Payson being like, when you play that, I should play this. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. Or uh, the other way around. And there's just more, more happening. And then the bass underneath it is sort of funny to me because it sounds like it's, it's, it's funny to hear, you know, my voice through the guitar, Payson's voice through his guitar, Max's voice through his drums and vocals. But then like, there's just like me trying to talk over everybody with my bass playing. <laughs> but luckily it's, it sits well in the mix. So that's good. But it was just, an, it was a lot of different aspects compared to the other ones. Payson has, Payson will say the old, the old records almost sound like a 16, 16 string guitar because it's just these kind of three things being played in unison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But now it's, it's much more like textural and like much more layered, I guess, with that stuff. But I think also we just all just saw so much growth in each other as musicians that it was like, this was the only way we could do it.
we spoke about the the way that the album is different musically, but the sound of the album is is quite different from your previous recordings as well, right? Definitely. Well, what's nice is like when you have a few years to until you record, you can buy more gear and new gear. So even just the sound of the guitars is different. Obviously, like the pitch of the guitars is different. We always record at the same place, which is Boxcar Sound in Hamilton, Ontario. And the engineer, Sean there, he's just, he's the best, man. He's got, he's got a great ear. He's great at, at just running the show. He's super patient. He's got a great temper. He's super chill. And it's very comfortable to work there. Another different thing is, you know, usually me and Max record off the floor together, but this time we had Payson record with us and that was a lot of fun. And then a lot of, a lot of the like modulation or effects you hear on the record, we actually had pretty dialed in at the studio already. So we tracked all that stuff, sort of just how, mostly how it sounds, you know, Arthur Rizek who mixed it, he obviously added some stuff, but when we, when he mixed it, we sort of told him we wanted to sit somewhere between the two records you mixed for us before, which is Manor and Planetary. But we knew we wanted it to sound bright. We wanted to try to keep some of the intensity and and the, the room sound of the drums. But And it came out great. The clean tone sounds super nice. And a lot of that stuff, like I remember Arthur telling me that we made his job easy. He said this was like an easy record for him to mix, which is, which is great. It's sort of a testament to, I guess, us doing a good job playing and Sean doing a good job capturing everything. But yeah, definitely... I you know, it was hard to imagine what the record was going to sound like until we made it. Even just like in the stages of practicing it, I couldn't couldn't picture how it would sound in my head. But the way it came out, like I can't I can't hear it any other way. You know what I mean? I mean the level of clarity on this on this album is is I think quite stark compared to your previous albums. Totally. I mean we talked about you know not not really caring or writing music for yourself, but. Were you concerned at all that maybe, you know, this was a step too far in, in terms of what people were expecting from you? No, I, it's like funny. I, I, I really wasn't. I kind of figured, I, you know, when we put out the Aperture tape, definitely like a couple of people were like, you can hear how the Dream and Ending influence has sort of seeped into this band. I mean, would you, okay. Which was yeah. kind of true. So, so would you agree that, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Totally. I just, it's, it, it's one of those things where I, I don't want to acknowledge it, but it, it is there for sure. It is. But so I think anybody who heard the tape kind of could not see it coming, but I think, I guess I just had belief that, you know, it was like, even when the part, even when it goes soft and whatnot, the, when it's heavy, it's intense as hell. Like there's so many pulverizing riffs in between these, you know, sort of gorgeous parts whether it's heavy parts with these like nice extended chords or the clean sections like there was a lot of there's a lot of sick riffage on the record still and to me if anything like i think it's i think it's our it's the prettiest record i think it's our most brutal sounding record at times like some of the parts like it's just like you know you know a band i didn't touch on it's funny i'm i was talking earlier about liking all these like bright you know technical death metal or thrash records like stuff like from this day forward by oblivion or focus by cynic which is the greatest record ever or traced in air which is like the second greatest record ever you know i also was like you know i and i'm i'll always be obsessed with you know the first couple suffocation records 
because like it just goes harder than anything else so there's moments where like we have like we'll call it like the suffo riff or something like the second track on the record like that's if you're looking for like brutal tomb mold like look no further it's there and even like the end of the closing track the enduring spirit of calamity you know we have this long wonderful clean section where you know it comes out of this chaos and then there's this solo by me and then there's this long meditative solo by payson and it's super lovely but then we just kind of kick right back back into it and then the ending is absolutely crushing so it just it felt like we just had more extreme ends on this record you know we have these blissful moments and then we have these you know just punishing moments so to me it was sort of i kind of maybe i just always thought if you just key in on that stuff like you know you're gonna love it maybe i just i think i just had faith in the songs and look i'm, I'm not saying that to uh you know like i don't have an axe to grind one way or another as far as production goes oh sure like i just spoke to ruin lust and ruin lust have a a very raw sound but they're almost like a totally they're almost like an impressionistic you know death black kind of band you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah it's very much about the feeling of the music something I, I really appreciate about the clarity of this album is hearing max's performance um i think he turns in a hell of a performance on this on this album oh my god he did so good it definitely like definitely like he was pushing himself so hard it definitely broke him at times i think everybody like you know it was fun because I feel like everybody kind of suffered to get through the record. You know, I suffered writing it, you know, trying to like come up with these riffs that I can't play <laughs> and watching Max just like beat his head against the wall at times about his drumming and Payson doing the same, like just getting hard on himself for his playing. Like we really put a lot into it. Like there's a piece of us on that record. You know what I mean? It's like it, it required a, it required like a pound of flesh and we all had to throw it in the bucket and his, but it, the, the way his drums are mixed they're so it's so clear and crisp but there's so much power to it it's it's great you mentioned this material being challenging to to play are you concerned about uh, playing some of this stuff live well luckily we actually played a couple shows when the record dropped we played toronto and montreal and we played three of the songs off the record live we played and probably the hardest ones if i had to guess uh we played will of whispers fate's tangled thread and flesh's armor which is the third fourth and fifth track probably flesh's armor is the hardest song to play on the album and that one is it's also the most fun song to play probably that one or fate's tangled thread but they went off live without a hitch like they were actually it was super super tight so and i i think i think max at first was sort of like how am i gonna how am i gonna sing these songs and play the drums <laughs> and then we had one practice and he nailed it and we're like oh fuck, you're fine man like we're good like we got this <laughs> you mentioned that you you recorded this with sean pearson i believe sean pearson's done all of your albums at this point right He's done all the two mold records. Well, Primordial Malignity, he did sort of half of. He did the drums and one guitar. He sort of was like, you can come in at night and I'll give you like a bit of a price break. And we were like, oh, hell yeah, because we were just paying for it ourselves. And then it was sort of like Max was like, okay, we'll get the drums and one guitar done there. And then we'll do guitar, bass, and vocals in my parents' basement. I was like, all right, great. And that's how we did it. And then every other record we did there, the dream and ending stuff that I've done, I did there. Basically, at this point, anything I record for any project, I just do it there. Like, I feel like in the last three years, 
I've been there maybe five times, five or six times. So him and I are, are super close. Like we have a really good relationship. He's sort of my guy for life at this point. <laughs> I mean, you, you spoke about his temperament and, and how easygoing he is. Yeah. But in terms of an engineer, how would you, how do you describe his approach? Well, he just, he, he's really good at, he's the sort of guy who he never tries to take over a session, you know? So we'll dial in, we'll dial in a guitar sound and we'll listen to it. And we'll ask him, what do you think? And he's like, I'm happy with it if you are, or if he's like, I think you need more of this, let's try this. And he might try something on his own end and kind of show us. And so he's, he's really good at like, we just sort of like kind of, we always just sort of meet eye, see eye to eye on everything. I don't know how other engineers are like, I don't know if any other engineers also like see themselves as a producer where they're coming in and sort of like telling you like how to play your songs or telling you what to do. He's, he's way more, I'm good if you are, but if he thinks that you have something better in you, you know, he might be like, ah, you might try that part again. And then you're like, okay, I will, but never in any like sort of trying to torture you kind of way. Yeah. I mean, it's a tricky thing for engineers because sometimes people go to engineers for a specific sound, right? Like totally. Yeah. And then, so engineers can get, or, you know, recording studios can get pigeon-told in the same way that, that bands do. Mm -hmm. But I think from a, a technical sense, I mean, you know, you, you described the, the previous albums as almost sounding like they were played with 16-string 16 16 string guitars. You know, yeah, like <laughs> say monolithic. that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's almost a demolic song title, right? Yeah. <laughs> Songs with 16-string guitars. But, uh... You know, it, it was this monolithic sound that just kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, it's very claustrophobic and, you know, you described it as very dark. But, you know, from the same studio, from the same guy, you've got this very bright, uh, very clean recording. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a testament to, or I, I guess something that like maybe people take for granted that the engineer is the engineer. Like he's not there to... Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's not there to, you know, put his vision of, of uh, what he thinks you should sound like. It's, it's really like up to the band um, and he executes their vision. Yeah, that would be crazy. Like if, if someone, you know, if we were being told by somebody else, like what to do or how to sound, that would be wild. I can't even imagine that. I th that must happen to people though. You know what I mean? Anyone who hires a producer, I wonder if labels ever pressure bands to sound a certain way. I doubt it, but oh, maybe who knows, but you know, because it's such a low pressure environment for me, it's really easy to just be myself. And I love recording. I try to play like as if I'm at band practice or playing live. Like I try to really lean into it. I try to play expressively. I try to have, you know, sort of that sound kind of be heard by the listener. If they're listening intently, you just get more of a, a passionate take when you lean into it. And the only way you can lean into it though, is if you're comfortable. Right. And he's really good at making me comfortable. And you also mentioned Arthur Rizik's work uh, mastering the album. Yeah. I spoke to someone from a different band who just recorded with Arthur. For you and for Two Mold, what would you say Arthur brought to the sound of this album? He just found a way to make everything sit properly. And, and you know, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't manipulate the sound of the guitars or anything. You know, the drums, he just, he found that right, that perfect balance of you know, squish, but there's still life to like every hit you hear. It doesn't sound too compressed or anything, but it's not boomy. It's just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just sounds, it's, it's just the perfect sound. I don't know how he did it. He made a joke to me once. He's like, I'll probably never make a record sound that good again. 
and he's wrong. He'll he'll do it a hundred times in the next couple of years, I bet. But you know, we didn't really give him any notes beyond the find the middle point between the other two records you've mixed for us. And even when we got the first mix, there wasn't any you need to overhaul the sound of this. It was just little, you know, level adjustments. Can you turn this up or can you throw some effects on this vocal line or whatever? The vocals he mixed really well. I love how they sit in the mix. They're so powerful. The bass sounds really good. It cuts through, but it's never overbearing in any way, except maybe for like one or two parts where I was like, turn the bass up. But, you know, he has that familiarity with us. He knows what we like. He also mixed the Dream and Ending records. So it's just there's just this familiarity and comfort to just be able and to be able to give a record to someone and not really give them much direction at all and just know that what they come up with is going to be good it's really it's a relief really yeah we're not we're not picky customers we're we're usually pretty happy with what we get
you've talked about the bass on this album a few times. Mm-hmm. You know, the bass is a funny instrument in, in metal, especially extreme metal, because, you know, I'm not sure anybody really knows what the bass is supposed to do in a death metal band. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, it's so up to, it's up to the player, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got guys who, who just double up the guitar, and you've also got guys like, you know, Alex Webster is maybe a good example, who, you know, their their bass playing has a, an identity yeah him steve DiGiorgio, yeah colin marston even like listening to him on those gorguts records is just i don't know it hurts my brain it's so crazy it's so and and i love that he has videos of like him playing through all the songs on youtube because it's just it's such a it's such a sight but anyways as you were saying well i'm just curious what your approach is to the bass like what the purpose of the bass is in tumult well, I guess I never really thought about it much until I started playing bass again. I played on the first record, and then I played on the Aperture tape and this LP, and it was sort of a mix of following the guitars, but knowing where to just kind of color in color in a few notes here and there, or to go off script a little bit. The clean parts is where you really get to shine for the most part, because if the guitars are just doing something repetitive, you have all this space to fill in, especially because there's no, you know, there's there's none of that distortion happening. So you got all this headroom and all this space to fill. And that's where you really get to shine playing bass. I think the bass really cuts through, especially in Will of Whispers. In, in during Spirit of Calamity, I definitely dial back during the clean part because that's, you mean, during my solo and the preamble to the solo, there's a little bit more involvement. But during pace and solo, I really want to just lean back and let him just let him cook, you know. But then even with these heavy riffs, you find ways to just throw some stuff in. And then even just going shot for shot with some of the riffs in, it, in, and, it's, in and of itself is a feat on bass. There's just some intricate, some intricate lines on that record. And just being able to hit it on bass, like even I was like, holy smokes, that's crazy. <laughs> So you recently played two shows uh, in support of the release of the album. Yeah. Do you guys have anything planned for the rest of the year? Not yet. For the next of the year, for the rest of the year, probably not. But next year, like twenty twenty four, we that's probably when we start playing, you know, out of town, so to speak. I think we have a couple things, maybe a couple single shows in the works. I think we want a tour. We're just just figuring it out, you know. I think, I think. When we decided to do this sort of surprise release, I guess what we forgot to consider is that we were going to be blindsided by by it a little. Because I don't think, I think in our heads, we just don't anticipate the response that we get whenever we do anything. I think it's just, you know, we try to treat it with a, a healthy amount of skepticism, just of how much we're going to be overwhelmed with response. But I think once the dust settles and we start jamming again, we'll figure out what we're going to do. I mean, why was this a, a surprise release? I guess it depends on who you ask in the band. I know my bandmates, you know, the 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 release cycle is, is pretty long. And I think we didn't really want to release any songs off the record, like individual. You know, if we were going to put a song, if we were going to release a single, it probably would have been Will of Whispers, the third track, which everybody has decided is like the best song on the record. I don't think I agree, but it's a great song. But I think we also were like, you know, that would really throw people. That would be crazy. But then at the same time, it was sort of like, we want people to hear that after the first two songs. Yeah, yeah. It's it hits way harder. You know what I mean? Because you're just like bludgeoned over the head with these like crazy riffs, and then you get this this opening, and you're like, 
what the hell is this the same album so i think it just became easier to be like we can just release the record in one shot and dave at 20 bucks spin was off for it you know he was sort of like you know you've also you've earned the cachet with your fan base that you can just drop a record and, and no one's going to be mad that you're just dropping a record or it's going to go ignored or anything like that like you don't need to do the traditional cycle of announcing a record dropping a song dropping another song or something like that i also just thought it would be funny and i think it was kind of funny like just seeing people re react to it <laughs> and even people people saw the announcement and they're like oh that's crazy you're putting out a new record i'm like yeah and you can hear it in four days and they're like hold on what i was like did you not read the whole thing it's like you didn't read the fine print right like so it was definitely it was definitely funny and then yeah it's just easier instead of having to kind of deal with it for a few months you just sort of only have to deal with it for a few days and yeah i think we just wanted it to just happen i think i think it was fun that way it was a nice surprise very cool so the enduring spirit is out now through 20 bucks spin derek how can people order the album they can order it through 20 bucksspin.com or 20 bucks spins Bandcamp. i think also dust bowl magazine might have its own variant and they might still have some copies left but mainly most of our stuff runs through 20 bucks spin we also do have merch for sale through pyre press which is a printing shop in pittsburgh you can find that through their website, pyropress.com, or you can just go to tumult.com and it'll take you to our merch page. If you like, I think Aperture of Body is now on major streamers. I But, you know, we have a bunch of other tapes. Some are promo tapes. Some are just original demo tapes. They can all be heard at tumult.bandcamp.com. And we don't have any tapes for sale, though, sadly. Those are all long gone. But if you want to hear them, you can hear them there. So unfortunately, a lot of the, uh, the vinyl variants are, are sold out now, and I'm not sure what's going to be left by the time people hear this podcast. Why? Just wild. <laughs> I, I thought we made enough, but... Do you want to say anything about the vinyl versions? They look great. I think the, I think the picture disc is, is still available. The picture disc is, is so sick. <laughs> like, I remember, I remember he told us, he was like, I think I want to do a pick disc. He's never done a pick disc before. It was almost like... So I was um, at first like maybe against our better judgment, but then we saw the mock-up and we're sort of like, oh my God, like you have to do it. It's so cool. It looks so awesome. And what's nice about this pick disc is that it actually comes with the record jacket. Like the like, you know, so many pick discs, they don't come with the actual jacket. Yeah. Which is such a bummer, such a bummer. <laughs> and if people want to follow Tumult online and find out about tour dates and things like oh. that. Or yeah, know, we have other, a, other surprise releases you may have planned <laughs> and are telling we have, us. No, no. I, um, we have an Instagram, Two Mold Band, and I believe we have a Facebook page that we sometimes remember to post on. We are admittedly better at Instagram. We also have an email, twomold at gmail.com. You can always write to us. I wish more people wrote to us. That'd be fun. I love when people write to bands. I write to bands all the time. Sometimes I hear back great yeah i mean that was the wild thing to me like when i when i got into this music to like send an email to i mean we're talking like 25 years ago so you know the, yeah. the bar was a lot lower but you know send an email off and get a reply and be like holy shit you know the dude from refuse just just wrote me back <laughs> oh man i had someone tell me the other day that years back they found 
the email address of Rachel Goswell, who sings in the band Slow Dive, a shoegaze band. Okay, yeah. And they sent like they sent like an email, just you know, being like, you know, big fan, whatever. Maybe ask a question, and they actually got a response. <laughs> but the fir- the the person telling me they were like, I think she might have been drunk because every word was spelled wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I was like, do you still have the email? And they're like, no, I don't. And I was like, oh my god. That's like the kind of thing you print and frame forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So great stuff. <laughs> so email Derek, everybody. That's that's yeah. a lesson from this from this episode. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do. <laughs> Derek, you've been very generous with your time, but is there anything else you want to say? No, just uh, anybody who listened, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the band in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it was a lot of fun to write the new record, and I hope you have as much fun listening to it as we had jamming it. Very cool. Thank you so much, Derek. Thank you. You have a great night.